All right. Uh, this podcast is part of the More Than Baseball organization. More Than Baseball is working daily to uh, better the lives of minor leaguers all over baseball. Uh, our mission is to protect and enhance the future of the game by allowing every ball player to live better uh, life during and after their careers. They have a ton of uh, programs, including financial education, mental health, and uh, more. Check them out at uh, morethanbaseball.org. Super excited for my guest today, drafted by the uh, Tampa Bay Rays a few years back. Uh, how's it going, brother? How's it going? Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'm grinding it at work. Like I do this for the podcast. I do this for the listeners. I'm at work on my lunch break in a random conference room trying to get this done so that we can have this conversation. So uh, how was your uh, how was your off day yesterday? It was good. You know, just went out and, and played some golf with the boys. Got a got a nice minor league discount on a nice course. So uh, shout out to Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail for hooking it up. Makes it easier to enjoy an off day. But it was fun. It's nice and uh, nice chill day. Yeah, and are you a big golfer? Like, is that what you normally do when you're when you're in the off season or when you're not when you're not pitching? I mean, yeah, I grew up in Arizona, so I mean, I there you know, go. played my fair share of golf, you know. And um, I think I've I've even worked with more than baseball a little bit, try to help up help some uh, help start some golf tournaments, and uh, and work with some people in that too. Yeah, so how, let's talk about that. How did you uh, How did you get in contact with more than baseball? Obviously, Simon he he plays in your uh, with the organization on your team. Right. Um, did you know him prior to that, or is that kind of how you guys got together? Um, no, I, I, I didn't. Um, the first connection I had with him was was in the Rays organization, and uh, I actually was part of their grant program back in I think it was late 2019, maybe over COVID uh, was when it happened, and we were we were struggling for money a little bit um, because we we were unsure of what was going to happen. So I uh, applied for the grant program and and got accepted. And, uh, and then I was like, you know, this organization is amazing. I love what they're doing. So I, I wanted to be a part of it. And um, I asked him what the steps were to become an ambassador. And uh, Jeremy Wolf, one of the other founders, uh, is from Arizona. So I hooked up with him. We became friends. And uh, we started working on little projects from there, like like uh, golf tournaments and, um, and just other things. And um, trying to, like, grow myself into a, a little bit bigger role with the company. Try to get more involved in, in what those guys are doing. Yeah, and I just had Jeremy Wolf on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Awesome guy. Like, all three of them, Jeremy, him, and Slade, like, they're doing a great work trying to, like, better the life of minor leaguers, right? Obviously, we um, – I say this all the time. Fans, they look at a major league player, and they see that final product, but they don't see, like, the grind, the hustle, the years, several years. It could be up to eight or nine years, depending on the player, um, grinding in the minors to get there, right? So that's kind of why I like to have guys like you on. Um, where we can kind of talk about um, your journey, you know, through the minors. And, you know, shout out to Peter Shrzlecki. Uh He made his major debut, uh, major league debut a couple weeks ago uh, for the Brewers. He's been on the podcast, and Jared Koenig, uh, he's with the, Angel, uh, with the A's. He's about to make his uh, major league debut tomorrow, both two guys I've had on the podcast, and both guys um, undrafted. So, like, shout out to yeah. them for making their dreams come true. Um, but let's talk about you. You mentioned you grew up in, in Arizona. Like, how was the baseball scene there? Because obviously it's sunny pretty much, or it's nice conditions year-round, so you can uh, prepare a ton better than, like, like I've uh, talked to guys uh, in the Midwest who, you know, do basketball during the uh, winter. They do baseball during the summer or whatever it is. Um, like, what was your – how was it growing up for you? I mean, that's pretty much exactly right. Like, you, you nailed it. Like, I mean, we are uh, I was playing club ball at a really young age. You know, I uh, I didn't play any little league, which you know, little league is a great option. Um, but back in when I played, club ball wasn't you know seven eight hundred dollars a month like it is now. So 
I was able to play club ball at, at a young age, uh, year round, you know, summer, winter, fall, spring. And, um, yeah, just continued doing that all the way through, through high school. And we you know we had winter teams in high school. We had fall ball teams in high school and then it just kind of keeps carrying over right into college. So the only, t- I think my first off season I ever got was, uh, after my first year of Juco when I'm like, wow, I actually get to stop playing for, for a couple months, you know, and give my body a break. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty much nonstop uh, year round. I think that that's still how it is today. Yeah, and I know they mentioned. I was talking to um, Jeremy, and like his team in Arizona was stacked and loaded with talent. Um, yeah. How how good was your team? Like, did you guys have a pretty good uh, group of guys? Uh, I mean, I think ours was a little bit more put together um, just by like who who we knew, not like you know we didn't go out and do any finding kids to to play on t- our team or anything like that. But uh, no, I played on the same club team pretty much my whole whole life since I was four until I was probably 14 or 15 with the same coach you know and um that's something that my uh my parents wanted to instill in me was um you know a a sense of commitment to an organization and and not like switching club teams and and going all over the place so um from that little belief core I stayed on the same same club team my whole whole career until I started playing more competitively but it's definitely serious and it's gotten more serious almost yeah. to the point where it's too serious for yeah. kids. And you got to take a step back and remind the kids that it's still fun. And, uh, you know, they can't be like crying or, or pouting during the games, you know, cause that's, that's taking the fun away from the game a little bit. You got to remind some of the parents too. Cause like uh, oh, yeah. these, these parents nowadays, like if their kid is in like an all-star, like they're a failure. Right. But they're just, you got to right. remind them it's just a game and you're having fun. Right. You know? Yeah, that's. I mean, I I just I spoke in front of a uh, uh, a group of people of probably about like two or three hundred a couple weeks ago, and uh, that was one of the questions that came up at the end was, do you have any recommendation for uh, for parents, you know, and, and what their role should be for their kid? And I said, just make sure your kid's having fun, you know. If if he's not having fun, find something that he will have fun at, you know, whether it's playing a piano or playing a different sport or something, or you know. Athletics, go do that. Just just make sure your kids having fun. And that's, yeah, that's all there is to it. Absolutely. I mean, we got to remember they're just kids at the end of the day. Um, you mentioned that you were you were talking in front of a, a group of people. Was that like a, a school or like how 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 did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, I've been tr- I've been trying to get into um, public speaking a little bit more um, based off of like a little bit of my background, some of the things I've had to overcome, and uh, I, I even have a, a couple podcast episodes out uh, with some people that I've interviewed. But um, yeah, no, this was a first time I've spoken in front of like a group of people. It was my friend who lives in Montgomery. So right now I'm in Montgomery in double A with the biscuits. Um, my friend lives here. He, he runs a baseball academy called Anchor Baseball Academy. And uh, he was like, hey, can you come speak with uh, with the parents and the kids? And I was like, sure, it's probably gonna be 15, 20, <laughs> and it turned out to be 200 or 300. Yeah, and I had like no preparation at all. So uh, it was a little bit of a, of a trial run to see how how long I could let my let my story go and uh and then answer questions all that kind of stuff but yeah you mentioned you have a podcast like are you you had like interviewed on a podcast like where where is all that at um so i do i do all my podcasts on anchor and uh and youtube um it's called the underdog podcast with a w um and yeah i've interviewed jeremy wolf uh and uh and a bunch of other people um some other guys like peterson plaus who's with more than baseball Mm -hmm. Um, some other minor leaguers and even some like businessmen um, that have had adversity in their life. So it's basically just, you know, 
talking to people that have had to overcome things to become successful where they are now. So, so it's not strictly baseball, but it's just <clears throat> overall life, like overcoming something to find success. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll try to connect to as many people as I can, whether, you know, it's whether you're sitting in school having a tough time or, you know, you're on the mound having a tough time. I try to have an episode for, for a lot of people. That's incredible. I definitely have to check that out. Um, so uh, speaking of, you know, your story, you, you went to junior college, um, you played wood bat league, which is incredible because not, not a ton of Jucos are wood bat league or is that kind of common now? No, just in uh, I don't know if other states do it, but as far as I know, Arizona might be one of the only ones that do wood bat leagues. But uh, yeah, no, I walked on to, to Yavapai Community College after my buddy got an offer uh, offer there. And, you know, I just kind of fell in love with the school and didn't know where baseball was going to take me. And uh, you know, luckily, luckily enough, I switched to sidearm or else I was probably going to get cut from the team and uh, ended up making the team and throwing like 75 innings that year. And, and we actually won the Juco World Series. So, you know, part of the, the whole Woodbat thing is, we played wood bat for a whole season and then we go to our district tournament and then the national championship game. And they say, Hey, all you guys that have been uh, hitting with wood bats, you can go to metal bats. And we started hitting farther home runs and, and, and we were just uh, too much, I think for the competition just because of what we were used to. Wow. That's incredible. And like, I love talking to guys who went to Juco's and junior colleges, the grind that is there. Um, cause obviously like there's different like regulations when you're in like division one, like when it comes to like tr- uh, practices and all that stuff. Um, do you have any yeah. like interesting or maybe like funny stories of like your Juco experience where, um, you can try to explain to someone who maybe didn't go to a Juco and they just look at you like, really? Like we didn't do that in our, our university. Yeah. I mean, so I, I got the benefit of going to both and, and I got to see the uh, differences between division one and Juco and, um, I can tell you right now that my JUCO group of, of teammates that I was with uh, was a lot tighter than my um, than my Division One uh, group of teammates, and I mean that's just because I think you know we lived together all in the same place. We uh, we just grinded out the whole year and and how far we went. I mean it was just a, a truly a different bond than than Division One. Um, you know every everybody I run into with their kid in high school that they say, oh my kid's trying to get D one offers. I say you know. JUCO is good in a number of states, you know, Arizona, Texas, Florida, lots of other states too. And and that's a thing that a lot of parents and, and players overlook is that the amount of talent in JUCO is, is unreal. I mean, it's, it's a lot of guys that just didn't have good enough grades or maybe they had a little bit of discipline problems um, or just guys like me that might've been overlooked a little bit and uh, they just needed a chance. And, from there, you get a chance, and uh, and you, you're going to be playing every day as a freshman and a sophomore, which is, you know, I saw in, in Division One maybe one or two freshmen play, like, all year. Everyone else gets redshirted. And then after your sophomore, you, you are going to get a lot of Division One chances if you play well. And then you'll start as a junior and a senior. So four years of starting against, you know, being redshirted and then maybe one or two years of starting is, is a lot better idea, in my opinion. Yeah, no, for sure. And what was some of the maybe the bigger differences going from like the JUCO to like a, you know, actually uh, not to a non-JUCO school? Um, I feel like it was a little, it was a lot more of a of a business in in Division One NCAA. Um, you know, there was a lot more rules that you had to follow, and there was sponsorships. You know, like we were Under Armour and 
Marucci and Easton and in my division one, you had to wear all these clothes and follow these rules. And in Juco, it's kind of just like, <laughs> you know, you're Juco bandits. Yeah. You just, you go to Dick's, buy a glove off the wall. You wear whatever you can. You just, it's the true nature of baseball in, in Juco and uh, in division one, it's, it's a lot more, um, a lot more of a business, but it's still, still a ton of fun. If you can, you know, if you can find the fun in it. Which, which is important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think out of your your JUCO, I think there's they have a decent amount of like draft picture guys in major leagues like throughout the last you know several years. So like that um, specific uh, college that you went to like produced like major league talent. It's not like you know you're just nobody's out there. Yeah, I mean we've got um, JoJo Romero, who's the, the the latest guy to to make to the big leagues. Um, then we've got Kurt Schilling as an alumni, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know I just played against um, one of my buddies from Yavapai, Darius Vines, in, in Double A with the Mississippi Braves. I mean there's there's Yavapai guys all all throughout the minor leagues and, and major leagues. Kirby Yates, I think, is a is, is a Yavapai guy. Or no, Ken Giles. Ken Giles is with. Uh, I don't Ken know Giles. where he was, but he was with the Blue Jays, I believe, at one point, or the Astros. Yeah, Ken Giles. Yeah, but, that's awesome. No, um, so, uh, yeah, once you to... sorry, say again. No, I said JUCO is definitely the way to go for sure. I think. Yeah, and like I've I've had a ton of guys who have gone that route. Um, some got drafted, some were signed undrafted. Uh, especially with the whole COVID year, I've I've had a ton mm-hmm. of guys on there who just you know because of the five rounds they just didn't get picked but they would have got drafted otherwise um like i know i was talking recently to one guy who said they would make them run up a mountain and down a mountain like almost every other day or every day as like their practice like they would drive to this mountain that was on on campus and they had to run up there and he's like we never would have done that in a d1 school yeah that sounds like south mountain i mean i know south mountain juco in arizona they did that i know at yavapai we had this thing called the loop where every day after you threw a bullpen or pitch in a game You'd have to run. It was like, I don't know if you're familiar with Prescott, Arizona, but it's it's pretty mountainous and uh, lots of hills. And we had to run a, around the, the campus and downtown area. It was probably about two and a half miles, and uh, and we and it ended on a on a nice little hill run. And uh, I've never had to do anything like that <laughs> since since JUCO. So. And so you had to do this every every day. You threw a bullpen. He said. Every day after you throw like um, you know, a bullpen, uh, inner squad, live stuff. Wow, that's crazy. So, do you ever, when you were at D one school, like the guys there, were they ever complaining about maybe a workout, and you just look at them like, "Look, I had to run two miles after every bullpen." Like, this is nothing to complain about. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you, you definitely had some of your, uh, I don't know, the, whatever the equivalent of bonus babies would be yeah. in Division One. You know, where they they kind of take it for granted a little bit and, and think they're entitled to a little bit of stuff. You definitely see a little bit more, especially. You know, as as I was a junior going into Division One, and uh, it's like kind of you know I get there and then immediately have to play with seventeen, eighteen year old kids again. It's um, you know, a little bit of a culture shock for me, and I'm like, you know, yeah, you gotta just suck it up and yeah. get through it. But um, yeah, there's there's a little bit of that. Yeah, that's why it's a grind in the JUCO. But I I love talking to guys who who went the JUCO routes. Incredible stories. Um, I want to talk about this. You played in the Northwood League. Uh, obviously, you played all the way in like Canada. Like you were like the furthest team away from like all the other guys. Yeah. So I mean, if you want to talk about a grind, that was probably <laughs> the the biggest grind of my life so far. I mean, I, we played up in Canada. That was the farthest team away. Uh, we were across the border, so every time we went to travel both there and back, we had to get off at customs and, and the border and show our, our ID, whether it's 
6 a.m. on the way back from a game or, you know, 2 a.m. on the way to a game in uh, in the States. But, I mean, I, uh, you know, got a, a tough a tough end of the of the stick with the, with host family and had to, like, ride my bike to the to the field every day, which was, like, two miles away. Jeez. I think they fed me twice for the whole three months I was there. Wow. And, uh, and you know, that's the same thing. I saw guys show up and leave, and we had a huge list of names on the wall of the guys that couldn't make it. And uh, that goes back to, you know, my time in club ball of, of, of a sense of commitment to an organization. And uh, I think it was me and my other teammate from uh, UT Arlington were the only ones to stick it out for the whole year. And um, yeah, that was, it was a tough year, but um, definitely worth it. In my opinion, character builder a little bit, but um, yeah. So were you guys the only team in Canada or is there another team? Yeah, only team in Canada. Wow. All other teams were Minnesota, North Dakota. And Wisconsin. Um, yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, it was uh, it was a long trip. I mean, we're talking like over ten hours mm-hmm. consistently. The yeah, closest so I- to like six. Yeah, that's that is crazy. So that is so you went from JUCO grind to the Northwoods grind. Like that's your whole like story could just be defined as like one grind after another. Um, yeah. I actually live. I work in Madison, so I work maybe fifteen oh, nice. minutes away from where the Mallards. Um, play so I was talking to Simon about that because he was actually he's from Madison and was able to play for the Mallards uh, so I was telling him I probably watched him play you know going just to watch those games and not even knowing um, who he was but I mean yeah I mean just being able to stick it out for the whole summer um, that's that's incredible um, you ended up getting drafted like were what team were there any teams that were heavily interested in you um, or were you pretty sure the Rays were the one that was going to draft you yeah, so I mean, um, after my junior year at UTA, that's when I struggled a little bit. <clears throat> Went to the Northwoods League, uh, kind of rediscovered my mechanics. Came back my senior year and um, and set like the school record for for saves, um, and and uh, finished highest in the Sun Belt in saves and like second in the in the nation in saves. So obviously that got a little bit of interest. Um, you know, I didn't throw too hard. I still don't throw too hard, but. Um, yeah, there was teams. There's the A's, the Cubs, the Giants. Uh, they not too many, probably a handful, four or five that talked to me. But the Rays weren't one of them. And um, you know, I I did what anybody with draft interest would do, and I was sat in front of a computer for two and a half full days of, you know, watching names pop up on a on a computer. You know, the first day I'm like, all right, I'm probably not gonna go in the top whatever three rounds or whatever it was. And, Second day, I was like, you know, this might be a chance, but I thought I was going to go in the mid-20s, and uh, like the 30, 30, 31st round comes around, and um, I get a call from the Rays. I haven't heard from any of the other teams, and uh, they were like, hey, I'm sorry, we we meant to come out and uh, and watch you during the season, but we never had time, or we're interested in you. Um, no promises we're going to pick you, but if we if we picked you, uh, would, would you sign? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd sign, and uh, – in my head, I uh, I was fully committed to the idea that if I was going to get drafted within 40 rounds, I was going to take the draft. And uh, if if I was if the draft was going to end and I wasn't going to get drafted, I was going to go uh, into Marine Corps Officer Candidate School, which I got accepted to a couple weeks uh, prior to the draft. And uh, and you know the 39th round came around, so I was <laughs> one round away. And uh, and the Rays, I saw my name pop up, and they called me, and I was like, you know what, that's I got to do it. You yeah. know, even though I was accepted into officer candidate school, I, I got to do this and I'd regret it if I didn't. So, um, definitely still not a regret and, and I'm loving it every day. 
and um you know grateful for the raise for taking yeah. a chance on on somebody a little bit different than than everybody else and i feel like that's what they're really good at is, is finding the people that that are different yeah and you mentioned that like i mean you you throw side armor right and yeah, i mean armor. the raise like I told Evan Reefer this, another guy on your on your team. I have had him on oh, yeah. uh, multiple yeah. times, actually. Um, when he got traded to the Rays, I texted him. I'm like, dude, that's that's incredible that a team like the Rays, who utilize their bullpen like none other, is interested in you, right? Because they're seeing something in you, and that's that's great. Um, and you know, yeah. I've had him on since, and like we've talked about that. But same thing with you, man. Like when the Rays see somebody like you, like they love love their relievers or funky relievers or whatever like like we we think about all the like hard throwers but like they utilize every type of reliever um, yeah. so was that was that something that maybe went through your mind as like they're having a conversation with you um well the more i got to know the Rays organization cuz you know growing up in Arizona that was probably you know one of the last organizations i've ever thought of in my life so the more i got used to um the organization how it ran then uh, you know understanding the process then and i was like you know what this this makes the most sense out of any team to draft me you know if if it would have been a different organization they they have different values you know it could be throwing hard it could be you know having carry on your fastball or, or something like that but um knowing the raised values and beliefs i i know i'm definitely in the right place uh, with the right organization and you're you're killing it. You're in Double A. I mean, you play for a team with an awesome name, the Biscuits. Like, how how yeah. incredible was that? Like, I mean, there's some sweet names, but that has to be. I think that and the Trash Pandas are like my two favorite like minor league names. Yeah, well, we play them uh, next week. We play the Chattanooga Lookouts this week, and we we play the Trash Pandas. We go to Rocket City next week, so look out for that matchup. <laughs> That'll be be interesting one yeah and I, I know a couple guys on that team i've had them on the pod and like they've been trying to get me to go down there and i'm like ah oh, it's like a 12 hour drive like from I where I, cool. I i hear it's incredible i want to go to nashville i know a couple guys who play for the sounds of the triple a for the brewers mm-hmm. um but again it's just getting time to, to drive out there i'm like you know it is what it is i mean i would love to go out there and, and, and see them play um support some of the guys that i've had on here um, so this this podcast, like I said, we're part of more than baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Simon, one of your teammates, is the, the co-founder. Um, like they've been doing so many cool things. Like they've been helping with like the housing and all that stuff. How like, yeah. how was that? Um, like how how has the housing situation been um, for you? Because obviously that's a new thing, and we were all happy when that came out. I mean, the Rays do an excellent job taking care of their players. Um, they they put a lot of money towards nutrition and like sports science and development. And they also put a lot of effort into uh, into into the housing arrangements. So um, every affiliate in the Rays uh, system, we all have our own rooms, which is nice. I know some other guys that, that just came came to our organization were were sharing rooms, or you know they. I know there's teams that aren't getting paid for the FCL or AZL, or they're getting half pay for it. And uh, and the Rays don't do any of that. They they look out for their guys. Um, they pay them um, for their time. And, uh, and, the, and the housing is, is a good situation for us. I mean, they'll, they'll make sure everyone is, is put up right and, and has their own little private area. And how, how key is that? Just speaking on, like, being able to provide housing? Because this is, like you said, this is all new. Like, I've had guys on who said they've shared six or seven guys in a room with, like, blow-up mattresses and, like, oh, air yeah. mattresses, like, in the laundry room or the kitchen or the living room. Like, this is I mean, a new age. It's it's really key. I mean, anything that can take the stress off of, you know, whether I have to, to pay for bills or whether I can see any growth in my bank account is yeah. 
is a big thing to take stress off my mind and, and, and put it towards, you know, focusing on, on becoming a major league baseball player. And the, the housing thing is big. I mean, that's $300, $400 a month that I don't have to pay now. And, uh, and I can, you know, that maybe that'll go into off season training or something yeah. like that, but it definitely has made a big difference. Yeah. And like I said, like they're working, um, advocates for minor leaguers are doing a great job mm-hmm. helping out adopt a minor leaguer. There's a lot more, um, awareness of like the struggles that minor leaguers are going through. Um, and it's crazy cause I've talked to guys through the off season and you mentioned kind of going to working out. Like I've had guys who told me they've worked out in like regular gyms, uh, you know, trying to get their baseball workout on or um, their Uber drivers like Evan again, he, he was like woodworking or some furniture making or something like during the off season, like just so they can afford money to like, you know, train to do their job. Yeah, I did both of those. I did Uber driving and I, I, I worked out at a, at a regular gym. So those are two two check marks for, for that situation. Yeah. Um, so speaking of like the minor leagues, like I love. I, I, I find it interesting. I don't, I don't say I love this because it, but sometimes we find it humorous because it's crazy that you go through all these things. Um, wait, what city have you gotten off uh, the bus and you look around and you just think like, where am I? I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's like a subway and like maybe a Dollar General. Easy, Kinston, North Carolina. Where I we, was just gonna ask you about that. Okay, where we played in the championship against Down East in uh, in Charleston last year. Um, there's a few places. Um, but Kinston is definitely the one where it's like, what, what kind of town even is it? Like, when you're in the middle of the of nowhere, there's nothing to do, nowhere to eat. The stadium is is brutal. You know, there's no fans during the championship series. And you go from that to Charleston, where there's like five thousand fans and an incredible city. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's such a, a flip in in atmosphere. It's 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 crazy that that, that can even happen. But. And when you were in Kingston, did you stay at the the Mother Earth Lodge or? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've had yeah, guys tell me horror stories about that with the golf course and like the polka dotted sheets. Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's a throwback for, to like the seventies or eighties, and somebody yeah. just decided to take a bunch of drugs and design a hotel, and uh, and that's where that's where we stayed. So, yeah, it's it's, it's the most interesting minor league city that I've I've had to play in so far. Yeah, and like I said, like I've had at least three or four guys have t- tell me about Mount Mother Earth, L- Mother Earth Lodge, and the the old fashioned like golf course that they have, where it's just like straight edge. It's not even like a fun yeah. mini golf. It's just like classic, like old fashioned like motel in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's exactly it. It seems like it's a big deal there. I mean, they've got some Mother Earth Lodge signs up in the stadium and everything. Oh, so they know. they like sponsor the uh, uh, the uh, the stadium and all that. Yeah, they got like a big Mother Earth thing in right field. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know how they how they make any money outside of us staying there. Well, they probably have minor leaguers like year round, or not year round, but throughout the whole season coming through there. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably that's the only sure. place they stay. Business. They probably get like a discount or something. Probably, but did you yeah. did you play any the, any mini golf there or no? Yeah, I did. You know, you come play mini golf with the trainers and the strength coaches and some other players. It's all right, you know. It's it's just like somebody, you know, Evan Reifert did some woodworking and, and built it himself and, yeah. and put it out there. So, <laughs> you know, um, that's that's it's nothing special, but it's I guess it's kind of unique. They got shuffleboard and a and a pool, so I mean, that's it's decent. It's probably a step up then from some other places you've been to. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, the, the hotels are, are usually regular, you know, like normal holiday ends. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's kind of cool to see unique places like that, but um, it definitely got tired of it a little bit after I think we spent over a week and a half there um, straight playing. So we ended our season in down East the last week of the year. And then we played them for the, for the championship series. So we were there a while. Wow. And you can only do so much mini golf and there's like nothing. I think I was talking to Evan. There's like nothing there to eat. Also, he said, I think he mentioned there was like a, like a, a cafe or something yeah. there. But other and, uh, than that, it's like, out and that's about it. Yeah. There's nothing else there. Um, and like I said, um, the, the, we, I say funny, but like, it's, it's only funny to us. Cause we think, wow, like how can someone who's a professional baseball player go through something like that? Um, anyway, have you had, um, any interesting fan interactions? Cause, uh, I, I love asking this question cause I get like the, the most random answers. Like I've had guys say fans ask them to sign their foreheads or fans, you know, begging for gloves. And they're like, dude, I only have one glove. I don't can't just give away my glove. Yeah. I mean, going back to Juco, the, we, we stepped off the bus in the world series and first time ever of, uh, at a, at a big event like that, I step off the bus and there's a lady standing there and she said, Hey, can I have your glove? <laughs> Sorry. I, I need that. I'm a Juco player. I don't have any, any more gloves, but, uh, going to the minor leagues. I mean, I had some really cool fan interactions throwing sidearm kind of generates a little bit of an audience for mm-hmm. me. I try to reach out to as many uh, people as I can or, or like answer Instagram messages and help kids out if they need help pitching. Um, so like I've, I've gained some, some pretty close uh, friends through there. And uh, like I've given away a pair of sunglasses and signed them for a kid. Um, I had a guy create a baseball card for me and then bring it and give it to me. That was really cool. Um, like he made it himself, had... like Photoshop or whatever he did and yeah. created. Yeah. Nice. Like took a picture of me, then then like edited it and printed it out on cardstock and, and gave it to me with all my stats and a bio. And that was that was pretty cool because you know, being a 39th rounder, I haven't had, you know, my tops deal break out yet. So. It was nice to see kind of like a unique piece of artwork like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I always like to try to talk to fans and, and kids as much as I can. Yeah. Um, what about, like, the autograph guys? Like, do you ever have guys um, come up to you with just, like, the book of autographs? And they're just kind of scrolling, <laughs> scrolling through, like, what's your name? And they're just scrolling through. Yeah, that's always a good one where they're like, what's your name? And then you tell them, and then they have to look through it and, and find it. So, I mean, you know – those guys, I mean, I'll, I'll stop and sign their stuff, but you know, if, if it's like after a bad loss and they're sitting there asking me like, Hey, what's your name? I'll just like, you know, like that's kind of tough. You know, if you don't even know my name and you're asking me to stop and sign something, you know, what's your angle? You know, you're probably just trying to get me to sign it so you can make some money. But, um, I definitely find more meaning in, in the little kids that, um, are genuine and, and polite and, and ask for, you know, personal items or a signature or something like that that'll that'll always mean a little bit more yeah i remember you know i don't know if you know brad case he plays for the uh, the pirates um he, he also has a podcast for one the baseball he mentioned that one time um in i want to say altoona or wherever they play uh one of the fans had made like a replica of him out of tin with like the, the ice cream uh ice cream cone hats that you put ice cream in and gave it to him wow. for his like birthday and he's like all right that's pretty cool but uh, yeah. with his with his face like painted on there, I was like, all right, that's that's unique. Like these these minor league experiences that you guys have, it's crazy because uh, the minor league stadiums are smaller. You know, fans are pretty much right on you. Like I remember walking yeah. in or watching the game, and like after the game, you guys are walking right through, like where we're sitting. Uh, this is in Beloit, Wisconsin. I don't know if you ever played there, but that's probably one of the worst stadiums like ever. I haven't. 
no, no, I haven't played there yet. But yeah, well, it, it's it's they just got a brand new stadium, but like prior to that, like it was literally it was like Kingston is where I got <laughs> was told, and then Beloit, Wisconsin was like these are the worst stadiums, like I've yeah. ever I've ever played in. That's a uh, is that double A? That's uh, high A Wisconsin. No, yeah, high A Wisconsin. So it's mid mid Midwest League or whatever it is now. Yeah, no, I I didn't get to I didn't get to play there. Yeah, but. <clears throat> So when are you a are you a superstitious player? Like, what is your like pregame kind of thing? Like, I, what, what how does that uh? What is your everyday? Yeah, that's a that's another thing that I kind of uh, came to a little bit of realization with in in my college and and pro ball life is, um, I'm a big believer in the the superstitions that don't directly affect the way that you play, like physical performance. Mm-hmm. Um, try to get rid of them. That's that's my opinion. You know, like. Whether it's how many, you know, protein shakes you drink before the game or, you know, if you tie your shoes a certain way, like those those things don't directly affect how you play. And that's just one more thing that if you don't do it right, you're going to be thinking about it. And, and that could throw off your, your mental game. So, you know, I, I really worked hard last year to, to think about, you know, what kind of dumb stuff do I do that <laughs> doesn't directly affect how I play and just say, you know what, forget it. Like if it's not my warm-up routine, like the way I play catch or my, my pitch grips, it's, it's not, it's not healthy for me. So, uh, no, I'm not, not superstitious. Um, what is maybe one of the weirder or not maybe weirder or unique superstitions you've had like a teammate, you don't need name names, but like, maybe you're like, you literally do that every day. Like, come on guys. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had some teammates that definitely have, have a process, like a lot of supplements, a lot of, um, I mean, that could help too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it almost seems like they've got their own little snack bar, you know, drink station that they've got to do every the same before. Um, but uh, in terms of not superstitious stuff, I would say, uh, I don't know if you know who, who Taj Bradley is, pro- one of our top prospects. He's got one of the, the most developed routines, like strict for himself, um, that are directly affecting the way that he plays. And, I mean, it definitely shows. Um, everything he does is very scripted out, and he's got his his routine down to a T. And uh, and that stuff is important. Routine is definitely important. But for superstitions, I mean, there's you could think of something and, and make it a superstition. So I'm yeah. sure there's guys out there that don't, don't mention something that they do, but they do it. And, um, yeah, there's some weird ones. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was talking to someone who said, like, uh, he had a pitcher on his team who was p- performing so poorly that, you know, he did a shower with his full uniform on, cleats, everything. And he said, uh, next, it worked. He said it. he's pitched better after that. So, I mean, sometimes these random things, um, maybe it's all like a mental thing where it just kind of flips that switch. But, you know, no, superstitions, yeah. like, baseball players are superstitious like i yeah like i said i've talked to some who have like the most random like are you sure that really works and they swear by it i, I think that's just because it's such a a, a perfect like a perfectionist game mm-hmm. you know there's so many little things that can go wrong that you know if, if you find something that might be able to flip the switch the other way you might start believing in it um but the other sports you know maybe like football where it's you know more just like run full speed and hit mm-hmm. a guy like there's not really time for you know, thinking about how you tied your shoes because you're just thinking about trying to run the other guy over. But um, that's a good point. Yeah, there's a lot of mentality stuff in in baseball. Uh, so when you're in the game, like, what is your go-to snack? Like, like what is your uh, like? Are you like a high chews guy, a seeds guy? Like, what is your go-to in-game snack? 
Well, we just came from, um, and where did we just come from? Um, I don't know. I forget. I forget where we were. Um, we, we, we got a ton of, oh, we're in Mississippi with the Braves and the, uh, and the clubby there had blow pops like the sucker. And I probably went through like 35 or 40 of those like throughout the week. And, um, yeah, that's probably my, my go-to snack right now out in the bullpen, just sitting there. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, um, I, uh, I, those are like underrated. Like, I feel like I had a ton of those when I was younger, but like, I feel like I don't see those as much as like I used to. Um, a big, I used to be a big blow pop guy, but then I had sisters yeah, no. who would like, get the gum in their hair. So my mom would be like, no blow pops kind of thing, have them ruin it for us, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the first time I've seen it in a while too. And you know, it kind of, kind of got hooked back into that. For sure. So when you're not pitching and you're not, um, uh, working out, like, what do you do? Like you said, you golf, um, obviously we've talked before you were a gamer, like, um, mm. what, what is that? What is your go-to game? Um, right now it's MLB the show, you know, again 39th round or some i'm waiting around anxious until i get i can get put in the game hopefully soon and then um mlb the show you know i played apex fortnite call of duty um even like golf video games um stuff like that uh it's just you know relaxing relaxing way to spend some time i also enjoy you know fishing a lot um living in, in florida the last off season that's something i did a lot um, and, and, and golf and, uh, and, and just like hanging out with, with my dog is, is a good time too. What kind of dog do you have? I have a eight month old black lab. Awesome. I have a, a miniature pincher mixed with Chihuahua. So, oh, nice. oh yeah, she's like the perfect size. She's not too small. She's not too big and she doesn't really bark a ton. Like she has like all the perfect qualities that you would want in a dog. Um, absolutely yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, you know, my dog hasn't got a CB play yet. Um, my my girlfriend and and my dog were uh, were in Bowling Green for a while when I got called up, so so they missed about a couple weeks of the season, and uh, and they they're gonna be able to finally see me play this week, and uh, and my dog will be able to come to my first game on on Sunday and watch me play, so I might let her run around the field a little bit. That's incredible. I love I love seeing those dog videos and dogs on the field. That's awesome. Well, hey, I'm really Andrew. trying to train her to be a bat dog, so we'll see how that goes. That under another underrated thing like we need more bad dogs bat dogs yes. in in baseball like i would love to see that in the major league stadiums like how how electric would that be to kind of hype up the crowd seeing a dog go out there and collect the back the bats right i mean there's there's a lot of minor league you know games and in in, in in between inning things that they do that i think if they were put in the major leagues it would, it would grow the fan base too what is one thing that you think real quick before we get off here like was one thing besides the dog that you think would help grow the fan base um you know, honestly, I just think any kind of games that you can that you can think of, you know, like almost every inning in between a minor league game, there's something going on on the field that interacts with the fans, um, you know, whether it's like trying to catch tennis balls like in oversized pants or, um, you know, in, in Charleston, like after the game, they did like a helicopter ball drop. And if the ball landed in a, in a hoop, you won like 50 bucks or something like that. And there's just so many great ideas in the minor leagues that I think if they were applied in the major leagues, you'd get fans that aren't even baseball fans to come to the games because they're interested in other stuff. I mean, there's a reason why fans go to more Firework Friday games is because they want to see fireworks. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, like the Savannah Bananas. Is it Savannah Bananas? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like they have. They're just absolutely electric. Like they sell out. Like major league baseball can learn a lot just going to those games kind of maybe implementing some of those things 
Um, but Andrew, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on. I do appreciate you taking your your time uh, to come on, talk to me for a little bit. We'll have to have you back on. I told you we're gonna have to game sometime. Like I'm not a MLB the sure. show guy. Like I suck at that. But like everything else, like we'll we'll have to squad up sometime. Yeah, maybe we'll hook up on Call of Duty and and do a little like interview or something and, and play we, Call of Duty. Yes, we would totally do that. And like I mean, we'll have to maybe during the off season have to get a couple um, Fortnite or Call of Duty like tournaments going. Some of the minor league guys. And uh, see what we can do with more than baseball. So get some of that, some of that uh, going. Yeah, let's let's work on that. that. That sounds fun to me. You got it. All right, Andrew. You have a great rest of your day, man. Thank you. You too. All right, bye now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.